This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. As you may have realized, I watch a lot of sports. That's why I like Prime Video. It has all my sports in one app, like the National Women's Soccer League, included with Prime. Plus, you can buy Premier Boxing or stream the NHL and NBA playoffs on Max with the Bleacher Report Sports add-on or add Paramount Plus for the Masters on CBS. Prime Video. It's all your favorite sports in one place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. It is getting that time of the year. It's Miller time. You don't need a watch or a clock to tell you. It's Miller time. Weather gets a little bit warmer. All of a sudden, the beer gets a little colder. It's beer cracking season. It, it Whoa, okay. I don't know if it says that on the calendar. Uh, Miller Lite, great taste, less filling, tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Patrick, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. And as always, please celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. Miller Lite. Thanks to our friends at Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the Dan Patrick Show. Panini America delivers a premier collecting experience with the most sought-after NFL, NBA, FIFA, and WNBA trading cards. Whether you're chasing rookie sensations or collecting timeless legends, Panini's got it all. Also, breaking ground on NIL. They've got some of the biggest names in college sports. They had Caitlin Clark in there, Angel Reese, and a lot of the upcoming NFL and NBA first-round draft picks. And if you're into cutting-edge digital collectibles, don't miss Panini's NFT platform at nft.paniniamerica.net with some of the first opportunities to collect this year's rookie class. Whether you're a collector of physical cards or a digital enthusiast, Panini has you covered. And the best trading card brands, Prism, Select, Don Russ, and so many more. And for those NFL draft fans, get real-time trading cards after players are picked with Panini Instant Cards, celebrating the biggest sports moments on cards right after they happen. Visit PaniniAmerica.net or download the Panini Direct app today. Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the Dan Patrick Show. We interrupt your usual DP show feed to introduce you to Running Smoke. It's a new show on my podcast network. It's a white-knuckle true story about fast cars, organized crime, and a NASCAR driver fighting for the future of his nation. Here's the first episode. I hope you enjoy. Campsite Media. Race fans, the moment has arrived. Drivers, start your engines! It's July 19th, 2015, and we're in Loudoun, New Hampshire at the Magic Mile. We're going racing, baby. Who will hoist the lobster at the end of 301 laps from New Hampshire Motor Speedway? 43 of the country's best drivers have gathered here for the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series 5-Hour Energy 301. On the line is a checkered flag, a quarter-million-dollar purse, and NASCAR's only living trophy, a 20-pound lobster named Loudon. 
Want to take a look at our starting grid as the car's about to roll off of pit road. On the front row, Carl Edwards with his first Magic Mile pull. And first since 2013, he's next to two-time New Hampshire winner, Joey Logano. And then, way, way in the back, starting in 42nd place, is the jet black number 33 Chevy, driven by a man named Derek White. Even though Derek is 45 years old, he's a rookie here in New Hampshire. It's his first time ever racing in the NASCAR Cup Series, his first time running with the big dogs. For a guy that's been racing since he was a teenager, this is a dream come true. Fans are on their feet here in New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Green flag is in the air. Green flag, green flag, green flag. Giddy up and go, the green flag is To call Derek an underdog wouldn't be totally accurate because Derek doesn't stand a snowball's chance in hell at winning this race. He's starting last in a car that's a few miles per hour off the pace, even on its best days. Carl Edwards got up behind the 98 of Timmy Hill and plus three wide pass for the lead. Kyle Worst to the inside. Can he make it stick? In the end, he finished in 39th place, 10 laps behind the leader. The TV announcers never mentioned his name, and the cameras only showed his car for a split second. But that's a damn shame, because Derek is making history here. Derek White is a Mohawk from Canada, and he's the first indigenous person ever to drive in the NASCAR Cup Series. Instead of putting up ads for Oscar Mayer or Viagra on his car, he chose to paint the Mohawk warrior flag on his hood. Derek was a real hero back home, an inspiration for his community. What he didn't know was that police were watching his every move. They were wiretapping his phone, tailing his vehicles, and intercepting all his messages because they believed Derek was a major figure in a criminal organization made up of South American drug cartels, Canadian gangsters, and outlaw bikers. Just a few months after his NASCAR debut, Derek White would go from being the pride of the community, someone the entire Mohawk nation could stand behind, to the person splitting it apart. From Campside Media and Dan Patrick Productions, this is Running Smoke. The story of a race car driver taken down in an international police state and how he might change the future of native rights. Episode one, welcome to Ganawage. My name is Rajiv Gola, and I grew up in Florida, between the Volusia County Dirt Track and the Daytona Speedway. If I hadn't been blessed with severe motion sickness and a voice made for podcasting, I might have become a race car driver instead of a journalist. So you can understand why I've been hooked on Derek's story since it made headlines back in 2016. In what it called the largest raid of its kind in America, Quebec Provincial Police carried out Operation My Gale, aimed at dismantling what they called a drug, tobacco, and money laundering ring, 700 police officers carried out a bus that netted more than 100,000 pounds of contraband tobacco, 1,800 pounds of cocaine, and millions in cash. Nearly 60 people across Canada and the U.S. were arrested on narcotics, smuggling, and money laundering charges. It was the biggest bust in years, and Derek was accused of being a major figure in the criminal organization. Then, I learned that Derek was taking his case all the way to Canada's constitutional court. 
This rookie race car driver, who was accused of being a major player in a criminal operation, was taking on the Canadian government for his rights as an indigenous person. And it looked like he actually had a case. So I started looking into Derek's story and put thousands of miles on my car, tracking down indigenous leaders, undercover investigators, and contraband smugglers. And what I learned was that this story is about much more than race cars and a drug bust. It's about what it means to be indigenous in the modern world. I knew that the first step to telling the story was to find Derek and find out who he really was. So that's what I did back in 2019, shortly after he appealed his case. I packed my car and spent three days covering the 1,400 miles from Florida to Montreal. When I got there, it turned out to be a lot easier to find Derek than you might think. I knew that aside from racing, he ran a grocery store in Ganawage, the Mohawk territory where he lived. So I left a message for him at the Mohawk market, and he met me in the parking lot about 20 minutes later. How's it going? All right, Joe. Doing all right. Just came through. Oh, yeah. Looking up to today. Keeping busy. Yeah, running around. Plugging. Yo? Same, same. You just came across? Yeah, just last night. Gonna be here for a month. A month? Yeah. What the fuck? Derek hopped out of a black work van wearing roughed up boots, some old jeans, and a dusty Carhartt jacket. He looked like any good old boy I'd seen down at the track in my hometown. I made my pitch, said I wanted to tell his story. He crossed his arms and chewed on a toothpick while I talked. He was just totally unreadable. He didn't seem too happy I was there. But then, Derek saw my Florida plates. He seemed impressed that I'd driven all the way up just for him. He got back in the van, popped the door, and told me to get in. Yeah, you don't need your seatbelt. You're under res, and you're with me, so you don't need a seatbelt. I put my seatbelt on anyway. Where do you want to go? I wanted to see Ganawage through Derek's eyes, so I asked him to give me a tour of the place he called home. Well, we could start off at uh, where everything started off with, with my uh, grandmother starting up her own little smoke shop right in her yard. We'll go by there right now and have a look at it. On the way there, we passed a microbrewery, a cigar lounge, a golf course, a bunch of mom and pop restaurants, and of course, a Tim Hortons. This is one of my buddies. He's opening up some kind of, uh, not even sure what it is, a juice place or <laughs> juice or some kind of healthy store. Ganawage didn't look like the stereotypical reservation I'd seen in movies. Some dusty, barren piece of land with tumbleweeds and mobile homes. Ganawage looked well off. The houses were big, the yards were tidy, and there seemed to be a new pickup truck in just about every driveway. If you go by the, uh, the statistics, I think we're one of the wealthiest uh, reserves in Canada. What do you think that is? If you look across, you see the bridge there. Yeah. Montreal's there. This is the main artery to cross, and you have to come through Ganawage. So whatever we sell on the reserve, people are going to buy it because we're always, our prices are always better than the outside. So we have a lot of uh, traffic coming through. The reason prices are better in Ganawage than in Montreal comes down to one simple fact. Ganawage is a sovereign nation, separate from Canada. They have their own flag, their own laws, and their own government. When you cross the bridge from Montreal to go to Ganawage, there might not be a customs agent or a passport check, 
but you're essentially leaving the country of Canada and stepping foot onto the independent Mohawk territory of Ganawake. And one thing you'll notice right away when you cross into Ganawage is that sales tax is not collected here. So tax-free shops line the main roads. You got all smoke shops all, all down here. That's one, two, three, four, five in a row that are within, what, 200 feet? <laughs> it's impossible to miss the smoke shops in Kahnawake. They're as ubiquitous as beer bellies at a NASCAR race. You can't go more than a few hundred feet without running into one. There's McSmokies with the golden arches. Then there's Best Butts on the yellow Best Buy logo. There's Smoke King, Crazy Horse, Burning Leaf, Red Man's, and so many more. These smoke shops range from the size of a tool shed to a full-size truck stop. And inside, you can get any cigarette you can imagine. Plus a bunch of local brands you've never heard of. They come in boxes of 20, cartons of 10 boxes, and cases of 50 cartons. You can even buy them in Ziploc bags of 200. On average, almost half the price of a pack of cigarettes that you might buy in New York or Quebec is just tax. That's not material cost. That's not the cigarette company's markup. It's just tax. But here in Ganawage, you won't find those pesky tax stamps on any cigarette packs. And what's the price difference between buying a carton on the other side of the bridge versus over here? Well, you, you got the cartons uh, on the outside. Uh, the name brands, Demori or Export and stuff like that, they go for about $120 per carton, 200 cigarettes. And you could buy 200 cigarettes in a bag for 20 bucks. So you're saving $100 per 200 cigarettes. You can see how cigarettes sold on a tax-free reservation would be pretty good business. And it's one that Derek's been involved in since he was a kid. Derek pulled off the main road and pointed through a window at a gas station with a turquoise blue awning over two pumps. Off to one side, there was a car wash that said OCR Gas Bar. It was a logo I'd seen plastered over a lot of Derek's race cars. The gas station looked like any Shell or Sunoco you've ever seen except for the fact that it was attached to a house with a two-car garage. This is what Derek wanted to show me, his grandmother's place, where he got his start. My grandmother opened up her first, uh, first and only, basically, cigarette store. It was right in this little carport here where you see this car. It was a small little store. Uh, she was a school bus driver for the kids, so she would do her run in the morning, like 7 o'clock in the morning. When she would drop the kids off, she would get in her 1980 Monte Carlo and she would uh, drive down to Cornwall. She had enough money for half a case of smokes. And then she would drive it all the way back herself, put it in her store, try to sell it off. And the next day, she would turn the profit over and that, and then she'd have enough to buy a whole case. And then so on and so on like that. That's where she started out. This road here, like I said, was the main artery to get to Montreal. So. There was traffic all the way down this road. Mm -hmm. So this little store was pretty damn busy, you know? Yeah. Ever since he dropped out of high school, Derek had worked odd jobs on and off the reservation. He tried his hand at high-rise construction, concrete pouring, even had a stint shipping vehicles internationally. Eventually, he decided to follow his grandmother's example. Tobacco and gas in Ganawage? You couldn't go wrong. When we opened this place, I went to borrow the money at the bank 
and they wouldn't lend it to me because they wouldn't they said there's not enough community members in the reserve for another gas station so she kind of they they kind of thought that it wouldn't work but i showed them i borrowed the money off my grandmother at the time to open this station and she she asked me she goes where, where are you going to put it i told her i said i'm going to put it right in your yard i had no other land so i mean this is what started everything in 96. from that little gas station in his grandma's front yard derek built an empire i have three gas stations i have uh the Mohawk Market, the only grocery store on the reserve. I got a car wash, the only car wash in, on the reserve. I also got a construction company, um, backhoes, dump trucks. And in the same area on my property there, I have a garage, a small garage that I do tires and oil changes for locals and non-locals also. Derek had an entrepreneurial savvy that I found remarkable. He was constantly wheeling and dealing, looking for the next opportunity. His brain was wired for it, and it served him well. Derek had gone from constantly looking for work and getting turned away from banks to calling the shots. You speak any French? A little bit. I can understand a little bit, but not much. The people I deal with all speak English, so... Mm -hmm. If they want my business, they'll talk English. Derek's success was built on the foundation that Mohawks don't pay sales tax. It was a fundamental fact of life on the territory. But on the outside, that exemption can be a bit more contentious. Coming up after the break. They see we're making money, boom, they want to tax us. You know? Like, just leave us alone. Just uh, bother your own people on the outside and let them collect the taxes from them and just leave us alone. Hold on, we'll be right back. When I met Derek in 2019, he was out on bail, in the middle of one of Ganawage's most watched court battles. He was facing off against the Canadian government. He was hemorrhaging money to legal fees, couldn't leave Quebec without permission, and had to check in at a police station on a regular basis. He was simply trying to spend time with his wife and his two sons, run his businesses, and keep a low profile. He had no reason to talk to a journalist. But as I started to learn, there was more to it. Derek had his walls up for a reason. Folks in Ganawage were tired of having their story told by outsiders and having it told wrong. I think like, the thing that people are, are wary about is they get burned by the French media who just come in, uh, you know, spend a couple of seconds here, get a bullshit story, and then, and then use their narrative and their skewed view of us, their ignorant view of us, you know, kind of pointing at all of us as criminals. Steve Bonspiel is the editor and publisher of the Eastern Door newspaper, one of the bigger papers serving Mohawk territories across Canada. Steve is Mohawk himself and has reported on these communities for nearly 20 years. It'll be uh, actually 19 years in January. Could you give me just like the barest overview of what Ganawage is? Like, how would you describe this community? How many people are here? Like, what's, uh, what's it like? Well, you know, it's funny because even just the question of how many people are here is, is uh, open to interpretation. Because uh, I think right now there's uh, 6,500 people on the uh, Ganyankahaga of Ganawage Registry. Uh, apparently there's 8,000 people that actually live here. And apparently on the federal registry, there's 10,000. So um, your guess is as good as mine. It seems like 
every part of your existence here is open to interpretation <laughs> and is just like this gray area. Well, I guess that's the kind of, you know, the intro to this. Uh, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, it's unfortunately, there's so many things that have been left like that, you know, and and the inter- the ones doing the interpreting is not us. You know, it's usually the outside governments and uh, non-Native people. One major stereotype that Ganawage deals with is this idea that indigenous communities are lawless places that are totally run by organized crime, that their sovereignty is really just a cover for illicit activity and provides a safe haven for the criminal underworld. I think it's a narrative that fits the running narrative of Mohawks are outside the law, you know, are are doing things in a gray area because they don't understand our rights. You know, they don't understand why we have quote-unquote special rights. It's also the reason Steve says that Ganawage faces so much scrutiny from law enforcement. I mean, you know, it's sad to say, but, you know, uh, any kind of police operations, it's it's just so normal to us. They're they're always looking for ways to get in the community. They're always working, looking for ways to to nail people. So we're, we're always vulnerable. They're always watching us. When I tell people, like, our phones are bugged, people say, oh, he's, you know, he's crazy, he's a conspiracy theory. No, it's just reality. Just in the last few years, there's been several stories of folks in Ganawage being busted in high-profile police operations that involve wiretaps and undercover officers. Like the case of Floyd Lahatch, a former pro hockey player who was taken down for selling wine illegally. Or Wendy Mayo, a grandmother who was arrested in a 16-person cigarette smuggling operation. And there's the case of Ganendio Ross, who was accused of working with the Italian mafia to finance tobacco operations. By and large, these are cases related to Ganawage's tax exemptions. And depending on which side of the border you're on, those exemptions are often seen in radically different perspectives. What Mohawks see as tax-free trade, outsiders see as tax evasion. What Mohawks see as sovereignty, outsiders see as a free pass for criminality. As a businessman, Derek knows that double standard well. Every time we try to do something, the government always has something to say or do. They try to throw they throw a wrench in our spokes, basically. We get something going, and then right off the bat, they see we're making money. Boom, they want to tax us. So that's what we're kind of fighting for, you know? Like, just leave us alone. Just, just uh, bother your own people on the outside and let them collect the taxes from them and just leave us alone. So when Derek chose to put the Mohawk flag on the hood of his car in that NASCAR race back in 2015, it was more than just a sticker to cover up a blank body panel. It was a bold statement and an attempt to redefine Ganawage for the outside world. I'm proud of who we are and where we were from. We're not, we're not Canadians. We're not Americans. We're North American natives. Yeah, I live in Quebec, but I'm not a Quebecer. Um, born and raised in Gunawage, and we are native people. We're, we are our own people. We were doing our best to cover, you know, every race he was doing, and it's something you have to give the people. You have to give them something to look forward to, you know, and and um, make them understand. You may just be some kid from the res, but you don't always have to be, you know. So you have to fight against that narrative, fight against that view, and that's what he did. 
Racing made Derek an inspiration for his community and offered an alternative for the harmful stereotypes that have plagued Native communities for generations. But racing would also eventually lead Derek into a gigantic web of organized crime, making him a target for the DEA, Homeland Security, and Canadian police. That's coming up after the break. Derek's garage is right next to his house, and almost exactly the same size. Inside, packed like sardines, are race cars, vintage vehicles, and power sports toys. It's a site that would make any seasoned podcaster forget to ask every single question he'd driven all the way to Canada to ask. This is uh, gorgeous. Oh, my God. You got an 871 blower on it. It's like 1,200 horsepower. 1970 Chevy pickup. This is a 75 Buick. That, that one's ready to go, too. That one's ready uh, to race tomorrow if we want it to. <laughs> Another drag car back there, a sleeper four-door Bonneville. You got an old uh, asphalt car, Nova. Got a drag car, Malibu. What's the, the car in here that you've had the longest? All right, I go through so many cars, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't even... Derek led me up the stairs to his man cave, a beautifully appointed room covered in oak paneling, sports memorabilia, and a polar bear rug on the floor. Oh, this is where we uh, hang out and watch racing or pool table. We got a full bar. They say, I invite some people over. They, they say it's one of the nicest bars, uh, <laughs> even in Montreal. <laughs> well, I just wanted to ask you a couple questions while we had a quiet place. I wanted to understand how a guy like Derek ends up being accused of being the leader of a criminal organization. As it turned out, it actually started with a trip to Disney World. So, were you into NASCAR as a kid too? No, you know what? It's it's kind of funny that uh, I never really liked NASCAR. <laughs> I was more like uh, into drag racing and uh, doing the burnouts, the smoke and the loud noise and, you know, and... After a while, uh, it, it kind of got boring a little bit. And then we were in Florida, in uh, Orlando, with my son Jeremy. And they wanted to go to the, the theme park. And there's a track right outside Universal Studios. And I hear them ripping, you know, like revving, like, like constantly. It's, Holy shit, what the hell is that going on over there? So What Derek was hearing was the Walt Disney World Speedway, basically a go-kart track for adults. But you get to race real deal race cars. I dropped them off at the gate. They went into the the, the studio, Universal Studios, and I just took the car and I went follow the sound. <laughs> and uh, I come out. There's a big track there. I think it's a five eight mile track. So I pulled up there. I went inside and I said, uh, "Who are these guys driving? Are they testing? No, you could rent it." I said, "What?" I said, "Where do I sign up?" So I walked in there and I never drove a NASCAR before. I mean, like a stock car before and signed a waiver, put the race suit on, the helmet on, and they threw me in the car. I was like, oh, I got in there and we went around the track. You do one one or two laps slow you, and you got to stay behind the pace car and stuff like that. And, but then after two, three laps, I was like, wow, OK, I could get used to this. I saw a little picture plaque from his first day at the track. It's a photo of him almost 20 years ago, wearing a red and blue fire suit and sunglasses. That's what started it right there, 2006. This is I, you? Yep, that's me. 
I got in for the four laps and then I, I went again and then again and again and it was just holy shit. I'm still really uh, just more hung up on the mustache and the goatee. Oh yeah. <laughs> Derek made it sound easy, just getting behind a stock car and turning a few laps. But racing is incredibly physical. NASCAR drivers will pull more G's than an astronaut on launch and they can lose up to 10 pounds in a race. They're sitting inside of a car that'll get up to 160 degrees. And even though the cars don't have windows, they're moving so fast that the air just glides over the opening. The only air conditioning drivers have is their helmet. It's an incredibly grueling experience. But as soon as Derek left the racetrack, he knew he'd found his calling and he was ready to go all in. So Derek started asking around to see if anyone would sell him a race car. He went all the way down to just uh, before the border of Michigan, somewhere, somewhere way out in Ontario. And we, the guy was closing down, his son lost interest in it, and he was selling two cars with all the tools and everything, so I went down there and I bought everything. That's where it started. Racing works like any other sport. You work your way through the leagues until you make it to the big time. First, you work your local tracks. Frogtown, San Eustache, and other short ovals around Montreal. Then, once you've got enough experience and enough money, you break into the lower regional and national leagues. Derek started out in the Pinty's Canada Racing Series, and you can hear how much he loved it in this old interview he did with the Aboriginal People's TV Network. It's uh, the adrenaline. You know, the, it, it flows through the veins. The blood just gets pumping and... Once you get behind that wheel, it's a whole different world. You know, there's a, you don't think about anything else. You just want to get on that track and that car that's ahead of you, you want to just get in front of that car. And if there's another car ahead of that car, you want to get in front of that one. Derek showed promise right away. And in 2010, he won Rookie of the Year. Not long after that, he graduated to the NASCAR Truck and Xfinity Series, the last two rungs before the big time. Derek was on his way. He was brokering sponsorship deals and buying faster, better-built race cars. Now, racing is expensive. There's not many people that can afford to buy a race car or staff a team or build a garage. So it's not uncommon for people who can afford that stuff to rent it out to people who just want to race here and there. Weekend warriors. Which is how Derek met a French-Canadian racer named Paul Jean, who was interested in striking a deal. With the racing... I met a, a guy that wanted to come and race and and I had cars for rent. So basically, this individual came see me and he said, uh, I want to rent your car. This is fine. I said, you got to bring some money. No problem. Derek's deal was simple. You want to race one of my cars? Pay me $30,000 and you've got it for the weekend. For the first couple races, things went well. Paul Jean brought Derek the cash, put on a fire suit and hopped in the car. Everything was paid up. And then he got into maybe two or three different races and uh, he was kind of behind in uh, his payments to me. I said, listen, I said, you're behind in payments. I said, I, I can't put you in the car. I said, I have somebody else that's ready to pay. No, 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 don't worry. Uh, so he offered, he goes, uh, my friend has tobacco. Really? I said, uh, he goes, are you interested? I said, well, if it's landed on my door... Bring it. So that's where it, uh, basically that's where it started. He brought he brought some in and then uh, start paying off his bills and he kept on racing and it just kept on going like that. 
For Derek, tobacco was as good as cash. He'd grown up in the business. He knew it well. He knew folks on other Mohawk territories who could take raw tobacco and turn it into cigarettes. And they'd pay a pretty penny for a steady supply. In Derek's eyes, there wasn't anything illegal about it. Sure, Canada usually levied heavy taxes on tobacco. And there was even a special police force in Quebec dedicated to intercepting untaxed tobacco shipments. But that wasn't Derek's problem. Tobacco was something Mohawks had smoked for thousands of years. And buying it and selling it was their right as native people. He brought in tobacco. I didn't ask him where it came from or who he got it from. Or Do you regret ever making a deal with him? Yeah, I do. Should have never got, should not never bought anything off those people. I mean, I only deal with my own people. I don't deal with the outside. It's just that it's hard when you deal with somebody, you don't know who the heck they're dealing with. That's exactly how this, all this bullshit happened, you know. If I would have known that, believe me, I would have stayed uh, 10 miles away from all this crap, you know. And when did you find out the Hells Angels were involved in all this? <sighs> the day we got arrested. <laughs> Coming up on this season of Running Smoke. You know, our elders told us, they warned us, don't do this. These people are doing international money laundering. And we thought we could control it. We were wrong. Bikers showed up and killed him dead right on his front porch. If you know the right people, you can get anything into Gunawagi. <laughs> I mean, look at NASCAR. I mean, it, it was it was built off bootlegging, you know, with the moonshiners and all that. When I was smuggling, it was like almost a free-for-all. I loved it. We were met with two Modus 50 caliber machine guns on the roof of that casino. I had no choice. I had to pay them whatever they wanted. If you did a comparison between the wealthiest native person and the wealthiest uh, white person, that's not even close. He's not Robin Hood. They're doing it for the fucking money. Period. End of story. We have helicopters over my house. They're just hovering there. They're watching, you know. I guess we could say it was a trap door. That bad guy just walked out. Someone had to do it, and I said, you know what? It's time someone fight this government and see what happens. They know that if this case goes in any way our way, they got a whole new story to rewrite. And I'm willing, I'm, I'm ready to go to jail. I don't care. If we lose, it's going to affect the Mohawk Nation. Running Smoke is a production of Campside Media, Dan Patrick Productions, and Workhouse Media. Written and reported by me, Rajiv Gola. Our producers are Aaliyah Papes, Lane Gerbig, and Julie Denishay. Our editors are Michelle Lands and Emily Martinez. Sound design and original music by Mark McAdam. Additional sound and mixing by Ewen Lai Tremuen. Additional reporting by Susie McCarthy. Our executive producers are Dan Patrick, Josh Dean of Campside Media, Paul Anderson, Nick Pinella, and Andrew Greenwood for Workhouse Media. Fact-checking by Mary Mathis, artwork by Polly Adams, and additional thanks to Greg Horn, Johnny Kaufman, Sierra Franco, Elizabeth Van Brocklin, and Sean Flynn. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And if you want to hear more, follow along at the Dan Patrick Show website or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 
21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, everybody, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You've already talked about that. But there's just so much more good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much more to get. You can get unique stickers. You can trade with friends to compete uh, albums for big prizes. There's cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. I was always a uh, battleship guy. You know, you get those pieces like there was the hat. There was the shoe. Oh, same. There was the I was always a battleship guy or the car. You know what, too, is funny about a battleship. It's one of the only uh, Monopoly pieces that you find that's not just a household item. Wow, you know I haven't even thought about that. Yeah, most people oh, wow. don't have a battleship at home, but you have a car, you have a hat, you have a shoe, you have uh, all those things. Anyway, you could also get hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. That's always fun. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their own unique mini games like digging for treasure or a robot Pachenko machine. And there's always new timed events that will help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it for free right now on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. It is getting that time of the year. It's Miller time. You don't need a watch or a clock to tell you. It's Miller time. Weather gets a little bit warmer. All of a sudden, the beer gets a little colder. It's beer cracking season. It, it, whoa, okay. I don't know if it says that on the calendar. Uh, Miller Lite, great taste, less filling, tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Patrick, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. And as always, please celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. Miller Lite. The brilliant EQE SUV from Mercedes-Benz available with digital light technology. So smart, even the headlamps are thinking. The vehicle's all electric. The feeling is all Mercedes. Learn more mbusa.com slash eqe-suv.